Great to see you, Baba. It's been a while, but it's, it's a been pleasure a while. to be here as always. <laughs> it's a pleasure to talk to you, man. <laughs> as always. And uh, thanks for, I mean, first of all, thanks for everything, but thanks for reading the paper, though. <laughs> it was actually a pleasure, so no need to thank me. And um, I, I, I think the best way to start it is uh, maybe to describe what I try to do with yeah, this paper. exactly. So I guess maybe let me ask you at first. Yeah. Uh, what is your main argument and main point in your article? If you were to sum it up, like give me an abstract. Like to sum it up, I think the main argument that like I want to really highlight because it's uh, it's a little bit complex, but just in a sense that the U.S. behavior in foreign policy is uh, driven by normative thinking but constrained by real politic. That's a very novel argument, which I haven't seen been made anywhere else. And I think this is something very interesting about your article is that it brings something new because, well, I personally, coming more from the field of history, have a beef with political science. Yeah. And I think it's very much a science that usually um, has a thesis at the beginning or some assumption, and yeah. then you just pick your evidence to support the assumption that you had from the beginning. And I can mm. see that in your article, you really try to incorporate the views of all the sides involved. And I think that you came yeah. to your conclusion after you did your research. Yeah. Uh, so maybe um, let me ask you, what brought you, what inspired you to start making this research? Like, how did you come up with this topic? I think, and it's a very good analogy to history and just being an observer of historical events, I remember myself vividly going through you know my personal life and then this crisis happened in other words i remember 2021 vividly i mean not not the whole year but the follow-up when you know especially when russia drafted the proposal to the u.s i remember all the reactions all the twitter thing and you know how actually like people and pundits in 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 ir responded to it and i just felt a little bit weird in the sense of I felt there is a just disjuncture between like what people like kind of like a logical fallacy mm -hmm. in the sense that uh, they try to promote a certain idea, but this idea doesn't have like that much credibility. And to be precise, this idea that, you know, the US is not really involved in this conflict. So it's up for Ukrainians to decide this idea. It's, I mean, it's still, it, it still is there. This idea is it's Ukrainian future. It's uh, up for Ukraine to decide its future. But you know what? It's up for the U.S. to admit it to NATO. <laughs> in, a sense, in a sense, without American approval of this behavior, there is no Ukrainian behavior. Exactly. And uh, that's what got my attention in a sense because there's such a like, discrepancy between... And these people maybe don't pay attention to it because they're kind of like very drawn into this camp thinking so, I mean come on people call Mirosheimer pro-Russian guy I mean I think Mirosheimer is anything but like pro-American guy but f like whatever like they don't even call him a scientist anymore but and just like these things aside what like really like draw my attention this kind of discrepancy right mm -hmm. this idea that uh I mean, people do believe that Ukraine has a right to become become part of NATO, but to become part of NATO, you have to have balls to admit Ukraine to NATO. True. And they don't have balls. <laughs> you know, it's 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 sad. It's sad in the sense, if again, like what we I guess discussed, if um, they had capacity to admit Ukraine to NATO right now, they probably would. Yeah, exactly. So why don't they? What is your argument? Why don't they admit Ukraine to NATO, even though they openly say that they would like to admit them? Because they're constrained by Russian power. They're constrained by the fact that they are afraid of uh, Russia starting World War III with NATO over Ukraine. And they don't want that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But um, could you please elaborate on how in the article you discussed um, the reasons for why the U.S. still retained this very normative rhetoric. So they mm. said one thing, but they did the other. So even though they were clearly powerless um, 
in the face of, well, Russia still being a very powerful state, um, why do they still retain this normative uh, narrative that NATO has an open door and, of yeah. course, Ukraine will once, uh, at one point in the future, become a member of NATO instead of just going back to, you know, the negotiations of the 19th century where spheres of influence were clearly divided and nobody asked any questions? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting question. Uh, I think it it partially has to do, of course, with the Biden administration because it, ha- it had to play this role of... Uh, it had to show, like, you know, European, European, European countries... You that it's a authority uh, authoritative leader, it has to it had to show its kind okay, of authority and leadership, in in a kind of in a way of thinking because that's um, in a way of rhetoric in the discourse, so in just in the space of ideas basically. However, like undergoing this, I mean, and I just maybe to to summarize what they did, it's uh, when when things heated up in twenty twenty one before the war. What the U.S. did, instead of just saying, you know, uh, Ukraine cannot be member of NATO right now, right? They said something like, yes, Ukraine can be part of NATO one day, maybe. (laughs) It has all the rights. However, it has all the rights to do so. And that was their major kind of like emphasis. And uh, and to me, for example, like what what was so drastic when when I was doing this research and you have this uh, Brussels summit communique. It's like 14th of uh, June, coming three days before Biden Putin meeting. It's like imagine like Putin flying to meet with Biden in Geneva. Just just imagine like, just just you are being those people. You are being Biden. Like you know I'm being Putin, and uh, I fly to see you like first time in like ages. Like it's a, it's a, it's the first yeah. meeting between American and Russian presidents in the wild. Like really, really, like the last time was, like Putin, Bush, or like Putin, Obama, whatever. Like Putin, like Obama, yeah. Something. It, it's 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 been a while. Oh no, he also met with Trump, I believe. Yes, he he met, with, but it's like once in a while. Too. Yeah, it's a few years. Yeah. yeah. And you fly to Geneva, and on the way to Geneva, as a Putin, you read Brussels Simon communique, and Brussels Simon communique, it's like, Ukraine will be NATO. And then you just, I just, that is like, it's, it's, it's just like, to me, it was like, okay, but like, did they, and like, to me, it's still like the, the most puzzling question for me, uh, when, you know, if I were to like, kind of like deepen this research, you know, if I were to collect like primary sources, go to like interviews with uh, like Biden administration, Biden administration, administration aides, and so like something like this, I would really want to ask them. But did you really understand that your every action contributed to the confrontation? Mm-hmm. Like, did you really understand that your every step that you took, it, it really kind of like put the oil into fire? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like everything you did, there was nothing like, like there was no thing that you did that was actually to prevent the conflict. Everything you did was to kind of put the like, fire. And I mean, it's not to say anything about Russian regime or Putin, I, I just like I hate the guy. Obviously, everyone does. Like all normal people do. But it's just about like this idea how Americans actually behave in the sense where where they face the situation where something bad. At the, I mean, I do believe they kind of like they should have should have had a sense that something bad's gonna happen. Yeah. But they were like, you know what, Ukraine has a right to become part of NATO. <laughs> Well, you know, Biden just recently called Xi Jinping a dictator during a meeting with Xi Jinping. So maybe his public, you know, yeah. uh, speeches regarding diplomacy aren't the best. But something that really puzzles me, and obviously you cannot mm-hmm. have an answer to this question, is was there any kind of uh, diplomacy behind closed doors? Because, for example, when we if we look back possibly the biggest crisis of the 20th century, mm-hmm. so the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was eventually... Uh, resolved diplomatically but many of the agreements the deal were kept secret so Kennedy agreed to withdraw Mm. American missiles from Turkey but this was kept secret Mm. so the Americans kept their face they still pretended to be super strong and leader of the free world not making any concessions 
But in reality, they gave up something to the Soviets in exchange for Soviets retreating their missiles yeah. from Cuba. So obviously you cannot answer this question because it's all classified and probably yeah. historians will find out in 100 years. But were there may, maybe any tries to do so or why wouldn't the U.S. engage with Russia and say, hey, you know, publicly we have to say Ukraine will be a member of NATO, but don't worry, it will never happen, we promise you, behind closed doors. Do you think it was possible that somebody said that? I think actually no, because, and the reason why, it's like, to me, it's simple, because I, they, they thought about, like, USSR as a pure competitor. Mm-hmm. They don't think about Russia that way. That, that, that way. They okay. th- think about Russia as a... And they are thinking about Russia is really like, you know, and you could see it through like IR literature. It's, yeah, it's like a country with the GDP of Italy. Who cares? Like, I mean, no, in the sense like they do want to kind of like put Russia in its place in the sense of they don't like, I mean, they don't believe that Russia has a word to say in a modern type of like, like environment. Mm-hmm. Like it's not that powerful country. And that being said, I mean, I mean, it, to me, it's hard to believe. I mean, of course, and uh, it, it comes also, I mean, I didn't put it into my research. It also comes in like other articles about the follow-up of this war that um, um, I think uh, Biden's aide, when he traveled to Moscow and talked to like like a like senior advisor and talked to Shaigu, and he said you, like, to Shaigu, you don't understand, you would suffer immense consequences to Shaigu. You would suffer. And Shaigu replied to that, like, Russian people can suffer like anyone else. <laughs> like, but you know, you could imagine like the guy is telling the, the like, you know, in other words, he tries to put the pressure, like, you know, he tries to say that you suffer, but in 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 a sense, they, they miss the point that um, Russia is determined, like, you know, it is determined to prevent Ukraine to become part of NATO. In the meantime, rhetorically, that's what the U.S. is trying to do, which it tries to do that Ukraine is NATO, mm-hmm. even though obviously it's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even though it's essentially rearmed as a NATO army right now, it will probably not become a member of NATO anytime soon. So we discussed the American perspective and the American approach or maybe mismanagement of the situation. Um, but what exactly was at stake for Russia? Why is Russia so opposed to Ukraine and NATO? I mean, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Of course, it goes beyond my research. Yes. Like, my personal feeling is that if you think strategically, if you think five, ten years from now, and you know, I mean, if you, if you are Putin, for example, you, you think about Russia as... Obviously, a state that is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to, I mean, foreign inter- interference. It's vulnerable to revolutions. It's vulnerable to the change in power. So it's a, it's a state that something can happen in a sense that like things can go not in a nice direction, right? And the consolidation of the state can cr- like the state can crumble, and the consolidation of power in the Russian state can diminish or just like significantly lower. So I think his thinking is like, you know, if you go into the future with this idea that Ukraine one day becomes part of NATO, it will. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I mean, it, it's just, it just maybe in 10 years and it doesn't really matter. It will. Like, you know, it will become part of NATO. And then you have this uh, problem of Ukraine becoming part of NATO while, you know, you have uh, the question of Crimea being opened. No one wants to, like resolve the question of Crimea. Of course, you also have war in Donbass. So for th- for him, it was probably just like, it's either we, like with the po- all the power, I mean, in Russia was still sanctioned, was still not part of the kind of like Western community. So it was heavily sanctioned. So I guess it was just now and ever, like, right? That's like, yeah. just like either Russia asserts itself as a power or it just loses everything in the future. As a, as, a, as a state, I mean, as, as, a, as a country. So would you say it comes from a place of vulnerability that Russia yeah. felt threatened? Yeah, I think so. And I think it just comes from this uh, kind of like the policy also of... Like because, because if, you th- if you think from, through an American perspective, even if, if you just go before the war, well, I mean, 
I mean, yeah, they have like a, you know, Russia is not a big problem, right? It's just, uh, it's not, it's not something to care about. Yeah, it's a thorn aside, but not an existential issue. Yeah, and you can keep the sanctions like with Iran just forever. Yeah. Like, you know, just for 30 years. And then one day, I mean, they probably also saw the developments in Ukraine in the sense of like bilateral or just multilateral military cooperation between Ukraine and um, Western powers. And I guess they thought, well, if Ukraine is, uh, you know, like arming itself and if it really wants to get back Crimea, who knows? I mean, I do think there was like for them, it's just just a strategic threat, which means it wasn't like a media threat, but the threat that, I mean, if if something can happen, that it can, it will happen. Just think about it this way. It's like for them, it was like, it was an accept. I mean, I mean, it's kind of funny because I kind of repeat Russian rhetoric now, right? You know, in what in in a sense, it's like it was unacceptable to have it as a risk. Mm-hmm. It's like, and the risk is just there, and that just you have to live with this risk that Ukraine just becomes part of NATO. And for me, you know, kind of like moving things forwards in the sense of like history. Just you, you could see it, like you know, when even Prigozhin. Prigozhin uh, coup, kind of like that, that time of coup like happened, you could see how close is to go th- like from Rostov to, to Moscow. It's not that far away, and it's very well connected. So obviously having, you know, NATO troops just on the border of Russia, it's a big threat to Russia. Yeah. And Russia, as you could see, it's not, I mean, it's not the US in the sense of military power. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's far behind. It's far, far behind. From, from the perspective of just material. Mm-hmm. So, um, we very nicely discussed the American perspective. We talked now about the Russian perspective, but something that I think your paper does really well, which is yeah. something that not many people actually do in IR, is give Ukrainians agency as well. Like you spent some time talking about uh, the Ukrainian perspective, which I feel is very often in IR, especially in the real school, they only talk about great powers and their objectives and their uh, interests. So why was Ukraine pushing so hard to become part of NATO, even if this could potentially uh, make Russia, well, pissed off? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, um, in a sense of Ukraine, that's uh, the way they constructed, I mean, their foreign policy concept, like everything, in a sense, it's just for them, it was a strategic path. And it heavily relied on the fact that I think they did believe that they would become part of NATO. And they still do. Like, you know, and they really do that once it happens, there is just a collective defense and um, no one can go to Ukraine. That's what they believe in. And it's, I mean, they still do believe it in the fact that once it's over, that's the ideal world. So you have NATO on the border with Russia and no one goes there because, well, if you want to go there, you have to fight with the NATO. And, I mean, they constructed this concept, I mean, obviously for security reasons, because for them, they look at it as, um, as this idea that was promised to them and um, in a sense is feasible and everyone is like talking about it in in a positive sense and it's almost like it feels like an inevitable thing but then you kind of hit the wall like you know you just always like hit this weird wall of uh, no 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 you have to wait you have to have reform you have to have even though you know like Montenegro is part of NATO became part of NATO during during Biden administration it's like do you really think like corruption is is that is that better in Bulgaria than I mean of course maybe it's worse a little bit but yeah, it's politics. Like you know, it's not. It's I mean, the like Ukraine is not accepted to NATO not because of corruption. Everyone kind of like should understand. I mean, at, at least from my perspective, everyone should understand this. Like you know, yeah. it's it's obvious. It's just poli- political will. And of course, here for me, I mean, so it's 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 an interesting because in in going to the war, that was American behavior. That was like behavior of creating incentive for Ukraine to push even harder. That's for me is um, what I, I, I still, not that, you know, that I don't struggle with it, but in a sense I try to understand, okay, but 
you know, that's their involvement in the conflict, actually. You know, they created these uh, conditions for Ukraine to push harder. And they really kind of, like, incentivize Ukraine. Like, you know, go for it. Go for NATO. Go for it. It's like, like this, like, parent, like, supporting a kid. Go for it. Go for it. You're going you to get do it. it. You're going to get it. You're going to get it. But, like, you know... <laughs> But they, 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 I mean, the U.S. definitely understood that it, it won't accept it to NATO. So then here it comes, like, you know, this, like, for me, and I, I guess what I also showed in the paper, it's interesting from Ukrainian perspective, they didn't give a shit about any other country but the U.S. Mm-hmm. They only knocked on the American door. They just, I mean, of course on Brussels' door as well. But 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 what is funny is, like, that Brussels is kind of like this, it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to be part of NATO. Just wait for it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, of course, and I just, like, fe- I, I could, see, like, you know, I could also, in a sense, if you're being imp- empathetic a little bit, and if you, if you are empathetic even now, and you just, like, being Ukrainian official, and you just knock on this fucking door, and you're just, like, trying really hard, and then it's just, like, no. Like, you know, and and, and it's, like, like, the funniest thing that these people, they don't say you know, they just, like, say... Oh, you know. In the future. Yeah, one day. <laughs> Not now, but for no, sure in the future. Yeah. And I mean, and it, to me, it, it actually felt, of course, it's like, in, in the Ukrainian sense, it's just, it's sad, man. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not a nice look for, like, neither America, I mean, neither, neither the US nor the Ukraine to be in this position. But, I mean, of course, the US is just like, can sh- show it off. It's like it's not something that is important for the U.S. even image in the world now, but the you know. But but it's still very interesting that you mentioned that they mostly focus their diplomatic efforts on Washington, yeah. but still NATO. There are many different countries, and they all need to agree to let yeah. uh, to let Ukraine in. So even if there was you know unilateral agreement in the U.S. that Ukraine should become part of NATO right now and the Congress would vote in favor, you'd still have the entirety of the EU to convince, like, not the entirety, but the entirety of European NATO members to convince, which I'm sure all the Baltic states would vote in favor immediately, and Poland and maybe some other countries, but Germany? Like, hell no. Germany would vote against. But this is also interesting because when you have this, like, for example, again, the Brussels summit communicate, and the Brussels summit communique is just the, just the same as Bukhari summit communique. It just says, um, it just says that Ukraine is going to be part of NATO without mentioning the dates, without mentioning membership action plan. So, in, in a sense, no one said, you know, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and it's interesting to me if 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 this there is a I mean obviously it's just like a reality there was a pattern there was a thing to discuss like you know and like 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 I mean Hungary could say no 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 to this communication exactly but for some reason no one said no and again this meeting like imagine like for me from what I thought for like I I thought like it's like. This meeting happens just three days before they meet in in Geneva, and then just like Putin quite literally on the on the fucking plane, just reads this communique, and then he's just going to strategic reasons. Oh, you know, and he probably thinks no, they're playing very strategic. I mean, what they want to do, they want to outlive. He he definitely connects him to the Russian state. He want they want to outlive me, and they want to, you know, once I am gone, they want to. Accept Ukraine to NATO. Yeah, that's what probably he thinks. And he acts accordingly. He he, you know, pushes like and he, uh, like invades Ukraine. <laughs> to I mean, again, from again, very realist perspective, like just realist perspective in the sense, like, well, now, fuck you, it's never gonna happen. It's like because I guess like now it's it's I mean we are almost two years into the war. It's it's almost three actually. It's, it's damn clear it could go for five or six with the same type of, yeah. you know, positions. And and because if there is no peace, peace deal, like, hell no one going to think about accepting Ukraine. Absolutely. But, well, you, you talked about the fact that Ukraine really believed that it would become part of NATO. And, um, well, uh, right here in this room, I have a cap that I received from uh, the Ukraine embassy in Warsaw. 
which says Ukraine in NATO now, yeah. uh, which I guess still sends a message that Kiev believes that it can become a part yeah. of NATO. But do you think that they still really believe it, that they will become a member of NATO? Or they just still keep up the facade because they have been uh, issuing this statement in public media yeah. throughout the last years. Do you think really think that Zelensky and his advisors really believe yeah. that next year or maybe in two years we will be members of NATO? But that's an interesting question. I think that's uh, that's the whole complexity of the issue because that's what you hear from the U.S. officials as well. Yeah, that one day it's gonna happen. But that, I mean, and I mean, they do believe because that's they they base like the whole policy on it. So it's uh, and again, this is just uh, a struggle between again wills. It's like the one will, like on on the Russian side, is saying it, that ain't happening. Like you know. Yeah. And the other wheel is saying that is going to happen, but um, it's not about like norms. It's just about this like policy reality. You know, it's like either you can make it happen or not. And uh, I mean, for Russia, it was way much easier to prevent Ukraine to become part of NATO than for US to go all in with Russia and fight with Russia yeah, for absolutely. Ukraine becoming part of NATO. That's what I'm. It's like again the, but the, you know the complexity here that if you look into just rhetoric, you're missing out. Like and you just don't see the clear like like I mean I would I would call it just 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 the picture here, you know because there is some reality here. If because I mean it's not just about rhetoric. It's not about about the ideas. It's about how they implement them. Yeah. And I mean and for me of course, I mean I mean you couldn't really say anything about Ukraine because for me Ukraine behavior was in the in the it's a disposition so it was really promoted to behave this way like it's kind of it was like treated like you know there was this open door policy it was promoted to behave this way and especially with the Biden coming to power because I guess I also showed in the paper that Biden was a person who was like a Ukrainian person yeah and was actually, he was really deeply, I mean, it's also not a coincidence that the, this war didn't happen during Trump administration, right? It actually happened one year after Biden coming into power. Mm. It's not a coincidence. I don't think it is as a coincidence. But actually, like, information that this is going to happen were before yeah. Biden took power, right? At least, I think so. But the media no, was no, saying. No, it's like it was 2021. I mean, the things heated up in just when Biden came to power. Okay. That's actually things heated up. It's like, in, with Trump administration, I mean, of course, Trump administration did some weapon deliveries, but there was nothing like, there was not, not such a big kind of confrontational dynamic. Yeah, like, you remember uh, once when Trump met with Putin, he said that he trusts Putin more than the director of the CIA. <laughs> so that yeah. was something that was interesting. Um, but also regarding Ukraine's bid to join NATO, I remember that like two months or like one month after the war started, Zelensky said something like, yeah, we can put off the issue of Ukrainian membership in NATO uh, off the table. Like we can accept that Ukraine will not be a member of NATO, but we want to be a member of the EU. So this was the position of the Kiev government for like one month or two. So maybe there was some willingness to actually discuss this issue when it was actually, you know, looking like Kiev could fall anytime mm -hmm. soon. Um, so I wonder if Ukraine still now could revamp its uh, position and instead say, yeah, Russia, go home. We will not be members of NATO, maybe of the EU, but not NATO. Is it still possible for them to change their position or is it too late? Or will they yeah. go all in? Yeah, I think it's uh, the issue of uh, the, the the most I would say disgusting issue is the issue of like those this like captured lands, right? That's yeah. just there is no way. I mean, that's that's why, of course, like Mersheimer argues that of course that's why Putin escalated and actually accepted them into Russia. So there's no way it's gonna get it gonna we can we can get back. I mean, and then I don't know. I mean, I didn't analyze it that in a sense uh, that truly, uh, like when war happened. Yeah, yeah, I know. But uh, before the war, yeah, it just. I mean, it 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 actually amplified. Like you can say, like my research amplified during the war because you have the same pattern all over again. You have Ukraine, like 
it's also there was uh, like the summit in in the Baltic country, like at Lithuania, or yeah, was the it, Vilnius like summit, yeah. the Vilnius summit, and uh, Ukraine. I mean, everyone was so hyped, like something gonna happen. They're gonna like like not accept Ukraine, but probably give it like a one hundred percent like you know statement that. And then it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, Ukraine will become part of NATO without membership action plan. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what's the difference? <laughs> and then it's like, and the same, and Zelensky is like not going to press conference, being pissed, like, you know, and like, you know, I mean, like you can almost feel the emotions here. Like, you know, you're trying to push hard. It's like, they ditch you again. They like really ditch you again. And then you just like... <laughs> I can just like, mm. yeah. I just like, uh, you know, like whatever. Like this is actually very interesting because um, last year I took part in this workshop that was mm. run by uh, four uh, Polish ambassadors, like to different countries, but they're like very veteran ambassadors and in international organizations and stuff. And the scenario we had like to role play a scenario of Ukraine applying to receive the membership action plan, mm-hmm. and we had like to role play. Uh, you know, different people would mm, play as different countries. You'll have to role play the interests of those different countries and eventually mm-hmm. uh, reach some agreement. And the agreement that was reached was like, we said like no to Ukrainian membership in NATO. Mm-hmm. And I remember the ambassador who, um, who ran this entire workshop, who used to be the Polish ambassador in, in France, he said, he was like, wow, I'm actually proud of you guys because I was scared that you are going to get consumed by this normative thinking mm-hmm. of, you know, Ukraine as a free country uh, mm-hmm. wanting to become a member of NATO, that all of you will be consumed by it and say, yeah, Ukraine should be part of NATO, but you actually thought about interests of different states and you role played it very well. So like, yeah. I'm positively surprised. So it's like, wow, okay, cool. So somebody is thinking like realpolitik here. Like, also, wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, but it's also, it's an interesting interplay. It's not, it's not, it's just realpolitik. It's also normative thing. It's almost normative thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I mean, on 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 paper in the discourse, it's it's just normative thinking, and of course, you could even I would say you can you could even stretch this argument at as far as to say like you know this partial support of Ukraine is also based on this normative thinking. It's just like okay, can we give this to Ukraine? Until we're gonna like have like a big war with Russia. Okay, seems like we can give this like bit. Like let's go like bit by bit. <laughs> let's go like bit by bit. Let's go. And of course, and Russia is looking at this, and also like Russia as a military power, it adapts. It's like it, it also looks at, at at the whole like you know landscape, and uh, you know it's 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 the, like the struggle is there. Of course, I mean I guess it's hard to deny that this war has more to do with the like, conflict between the U.S. and Russia than it actually has to do maybe between Ukraine and, and Russia, mm-hmm. in, in a sense. I mean, of course, there is like a component where two countries like really kind of like disagree with each other and like really kind of like hate each other almost. But there is like a bigger, bigger component is just uh, this discontinuity between like, you know, like America and Russia. It's like pulling into different directions. Like really, tr- like really trying to exert power in 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 Ukraine, literally, and this is like, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but yes, you, Ukraine suffers because of it. Yeah, true. It, it is. It does. Like, so would you say that Ukraine would have behaved completely differently if uh, Washington had said no, you're not becoming a member of NATO? So I think my response to this would be yes, and. And in a sense, this is this is to me. If if you assess, like if you really try to assess, what is the involvement of the U.S. in this conflict? So, what's responsibility of the U.S. for kind of igniting this conflict? Is this idea that they really try to push Ukraine into thinking that they just need to, like you know, and again, like for Ukraine, they really put a lot of effort. It's not that they just like like you know sat around like and doing nothing no they they tried hard they they constructed the whole you know cabinet the whole from policy thinking around this idea that they would become part of nato and of course for them it was just like as soon as possible i mean realistically they think they were thinking well it's going to happen maybe in late 20s like in the sense of like 29 28 membership action plan yeah and of course if 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 the us and I could definitely, you know, 
I mean, I could see the U.S. advisor going to Kiev and saying, no, this is not going to happen. I'm sorry, but, you know, you know, we also like talking to Russians and, you know, it's, it's clear that Russians are going to invade you. But, you know, if we want to prevent this whatever conflict, let's just say no. Like, you know, we it, it just let's let's try to come up with this, some kind of like idea. And I mean, I don't say that it's going to be talks and going to happen, but if you just like throw it around and you just, but that they did exactly the opposite, like, right? They, yeah. and you could also see it in, in a way that Ukraine behaved like they, they, and, and what I will also try to say, it's like, it's not that there was like after, after Brussels summit communique, there was also like Zelensky coming to Washington and then you had like all those strategic cooperation agreements. That's like they sound well. I mean, incredible on paper. Yeah. I mean, they sound like kind of like Ukraine becoming like Israel for 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 the U.S. Right. I mean, they sound like there is a bilateral, strong, in in all domains like military, economic, like cooperation between the two, which of course. And then uh, I didn't, you know, of course I didn't put this in the paper, but then after that you could actually see the escalation from the Russian side and it's like, okay, now we have serious here. Yeah. And then they, on the, in December, they drafted the, the agreement, the proposal for agreement between the U.S. and like between the Russian Federation and like NATO and, and the U.S. And this is, I think, of course, it, then it just triggered even more because in a sense, then they were just saying that, you know, it's like, you are not part of NATO, but you are the U.S. ally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we are going to defend you. And, um, you know. It's like politely rejecting someone. Yeah. <laughs> no, not, but I mean, to me, it's still, it's, an, it's again, I just like what I try to think just through, through like Biden administration perspective, like what, they, what really, what was they thinking there? Yeah. Because I mean, and I mean, like, of course, one thing is to say that they, I mean, you could say, like, they didn't, um, they didn't think about it, like, they, they were stupid, they just didn't think about it, it going to lead to the conflict, it's like, you know, another way is to say, for example, that um, they, I mean, they just really wanted to have, like, to protect this, you know, normative, you know, yeah. worldview, um, or, I mean, like Russian would say, they were just like playing with Ukraine. So, um, we like slowly closing this conversation, but, uh, if I were to ask you, would you call the war in Ukraine a failure of U.S. foreign policy? Yeah, I think not, not in the sense that they're responsible entire for the entirety of war. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They're not responsible for that, for the, the horrors that the Russians are doing. Not at all, but I mean, there is, I mean, what I called it, and whether you liked it or not, it's actually a good question for you. I called it, they created, like the US, created power vacuum. Mm -hmm. They created like a vacuum that Russians used kind of mercifully in the sense like they, they created a situation where American authority was ambiguous. It wasn't really like either we, it's like either we defend Ukraine as a NATO member because they, 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 we want them to become a NATO member and they're a democratic country and they end going reforms. Or no. I was just like... But you know. you know, like this strategic ambiguity is something that the Americans actually like to practice. And if you read yeah. uh, some of the writings of political scientists from uh, the US, they, for example, they believe in nuclear deterrence. But in relation and, to NATO, where yeah. American word is credible again. Okay, that's true, that's true. And, the, and, and here you have a situation where it's not a NATO member, but it's supposed to become a NATO member. So it's like there was this, I mean, I would I would call it the power vacuum. They just created a power vacuum. And, like, and Russians look at it and just like, it's either now or never, like, you know. But then again, you could look at it from like a super uh, real politic perspective mm -hmm. and um, think about the interests of the U.S. Like, let's assume that the U.S. is super selfish and doesn't care about the interests of any other state. Mm -hmm. um, you could try to sell the war in Ukraine as a success of the U.S. because the strategic opponent, that is Russia, is yeah. currently bleeding itself out in a war in Ukraine 
which doesn't involve a single American soldier actually having to die on the battlefield. It's yeah. a proxy war which costs Russia more than it costs the US. I mean, that's in a sense true. And that's what I also think. Well, I think like, you know, and I had this feeling when the war was like one year, we were one year into the war that, I mean, you need, I mean, you, you do need to have pay some respect like to Russian thinking. And so it's like, it's kind of strategic. It's like they got into the war and for them, it's just like the war, the, the longer it goes, the more we kind of win. Like, you know, in the sense like we, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, it's like a crocodile. It's just like, it's got like its prey and it's just like, you know, holding it tight until it kind of like suffocates. That's what they're doing with Ukraine. And I think that's maybe the same that the U.S. is trying to do with Russia. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, it's just like, it's the same type of, I mean, because again, it's not that the U.S. thinks about Russia as a real competitor, like, and but this is goes on to like very, like you know, abstract of course level. And but again, then but do you think then that the U.S. behavior is just a malign and they just really don't care about Ukraine? No, I don't think so. But then like like this thinking implies that they are just like bad guy. I mean, not not bad guy, but they're just malign. Yeah. That they just don't really don't care about you. They just use it as a as a as a tool against Russians. And this is something that I know it's not based on any research, but I believe not to be true. I do believe that there was some normative and ideological background that motivated them to push for Ukraine to to become a member of NATO. Um, but you know, maybe we don't know what's going on in behind closed doors. We don't know. But there's enough, like to be honest, like just being an observer. There's enough. Again, like this thing with the with the, with the Brussels summit communicate and Biden and Biden Putin. There's enough actually public evidence, even if you just analyze it. True. It's just like it's it's just it's also. I mean, yes, you. I mean, like, but you also don't don't think there is that much coming out of a Biden Putin meeting where Putin is holding Brussels summit communicating and just reading that Ukraine is going to be part of NATO. It's like what they're going to discuss. It's like, what about Ukraine? Oh yeah, like I, I, to- I, I told him that Ukraine is going to be part of NATO. And it's like and Putin going to like smile it's like, yeah <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's see. We'll see. <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean that's it's also there's a lot. Actually there's a lot I think like people call it like now public diplomacy, they just a lot there. Like, there's just a lot of information available even for public diplomacy now. Because, I mean, there is, like, so much information on the internet. Which I think is especially interesting, like, this case study of American diplomacy and the case of Ukraine. When we look at Taiwan right now, because it's the same thing. Like, Taiwan is not officially an ally of the U.S. The U.S. doesn't even officially recognize Taiwan as a state. But still, in many ambiguous communiques and uh, information that the that DC puts out there is they hint like yeah we're gonna defend Taiwan or maybe we won't or yeah. maybe we will yeah. find out <laughs> it's it's pretty much the same I would say in many aspects it is the same I mean the, the one difference is that for them it's more strategically important yes it is and you go into like like real politic thinking and then China's a bigger threat and it's also, yeah, it, it has to do, I guess if they think if they lose Taiwan that they're going to lose the competition. Yeah. So it, it's the same as, let's say, like for Soviet, it's like the same as for, like, you know, uh, uh, like Soviet Union winning Western Germany during Cold War. That's mm-hmm. like probably the same in the sense of like the scope. Yeah. But Ukraine was never like in the spotlight of American politics. And yeah. it kind of became a little bit with this like corruption issues and Biden and like whatever Hunter Biden stuff, but it it's not like, I mean, but it's interesting how you see how it evolves. Of course, you also see the progress, like the the, the 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 evolution of America, like Ukrainian topic in American politics, and to see where it goes, but. I mean, now they, I mean, to be honest, they owe so much to Ukrainians, though. Like, yeah, Ukrainians, like, are really keeping up, like, the Western idea now. And, uh, and again, this is just from, from perspective of, uh, of uh, I wouldn't say even realist, but if you want to show your balls, you have to go in, all in, you have to go and defend, you know, 
I mean, in a sense, you have to go all in, not like using nukes on Russia, but no, you have to maybe go all in and defend Ukraine with troops on the ground just to say, or even maybe, how I mean, obviously Ukraine always and still wants like no-fly zone or something like this. I think it's a very nice thing that you said that Ukraine is actually like fighting for the idea of the West right now, probably more than the West is. Yeah. Uh, uh, I recently attended a conference where one Polish politician said like, yeah, you know, we, all of us were talking about those European values and values of freedom, democracy and stuff. But right now, the Ukrainians are the guys who are actually dying, yeah. wearing the flag of the European Union on the battlefield. So yeah. maybe you guys should think about that a little bit more. <laughs> I was like, well, strong words, strong words. <laughs> no, for, for sure. And that's, uh, and that's like, I mean, kind of, it's kind of a tragedy here, right? It Because, is. And then, I mean, to be honest, my prediction is that the story going to repeat itself in the sense like every every year they have like this NATO summits. It's like usually in in June or in July. And then they're going to do the same thing. They're going to have like Ukraine being like, you know, very pushy and it's like giving all these interviews. I mean, I, mean, I remember I, I watched uh, Zelensky interview before um, Vilnius summit and uh, And and he said something like if you if you just and it is the same thing he said before, just be honest. Like, you know, I mean kind of like this, like if you don't want us there, just be honest. Yeah. Like, you know, if you don't want us there, just be honest with us. Don't like fool us around. But again, summit comes and then you have like this. But then it's like again, like this is like how do you explain even this uh, intricacy here, right? There's like this something is there certainly is and i guess like from like you know bottom up from us observing to the top down people doing politics in the sense i mean they're probably undergoing the same type of issue and they had it's like well i we couldn't accept ukraine but what then we do like i guess that's Biden. well i mean we we could endorse nato open door policy true we could say one day they will be part of nato And then when Russia invades, they say, well, but they knew that it wouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? You just don't, don't you see that there is just like some problem in your thinking here? I mean, either you think this way or that way, or just like... Make up your mind. Make up your mind. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, the future, as always, our podcast is looking grim. <laughs> I mean, no, no, it's not. It's not grim. I mean, as such, we're still almost, almost three years into the war, so um, the life still goes on. It does. I mean, as I called it in the paper, right? It's still the biggest military confrontation on the European continent that never looks. I mean, World War Two style of fighting going on. Actually, more World War One right now. Yeah, but. There were some moments of all those. Some moments of World War Two, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and I mean, and like, I guess the last thing I would say is just, you know, I I truly believe that you would never solve this problem without incorporating Russia. I don't really think so. It's like yeah. without in broader Europe, because then it's the it just becomes the same problem as you have. I mean, you did have like a big fighting between France and Germany. They they solved it. How did they solve it? Oh yeah, yeah, they incorporated them in the same security structure. I guess guess what we are facing now? Same type of problem. Yeah. Just incorporated in the same security structure. Yeah, and you just that's that's for the longer. Well, I guess if history teaches us anything is that mortal enemies can eventually become neighbors oh, yeah. or maybe even allies. I would even say that In, in in some sense, Russian-Ukraine war doesn't feel that much national. You think so? I think so, actually. I think there is a distance between understanding that this war is thought by elites, actually, on both sides. I mean, I, ha I haven't spoken to Ukrainian guys, but it feels like there is a distance between, like, you know, how Ukrainian people even think about this war. There is understanding that this is something that is thought like by elites rather than by people well funny thing that's exactly the same thing that marxist said about world war one <laughs> it's not about it's not a war between nations it's about it's a war between the elites well and when the nations realize that they're fighting each other the orders of the elites 
was there like a quote that uh, young people who don't know each other fight each other for old people who um, know each other and uh, yeah it's pretty much the same thing yeah I mean that's what they do so there is a distance I I feel I I don't think it 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 it, um, it feels like a complete I mean the way for example the conflict in Gaza feels for many people like you know for people for Palestine it feels like a their struggle between like Israel and, and, and Muslims and Gaza I don't think there is something like this magnitude between Ukrainians and Russians even mm-hmm. there is some distance even though it's a it's a war same type of thing but there's some some like you know understanding that you know distance like just just understanding that this is this is just a war by elites not by people i mean well hopefully <laughs> i hope for some reconciliation in the future <laughs> yeah you didn't sound <laughs> that uh promising i mean that, well uh, the elites have to change i mean I come from Poland, and right now Germany is our best ally. So. Oh yeah, that's tell me about it. <laughs> so yeah, like they murdered five million of our citizens, but we can get along right now. It's Europe. So. It's just the it's it's the struggle of uh, communities trying to figure out that. I mean, but we are all kind of the same, though. That's like that's. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's just like it's moving towards direction. It's like eventually we probably gonna laugh and just like you know you know remember like the war between russia and ukraine that was silly right yeah <laughs> it was fucking silly for fucking donbass fucking world. why would you <laughs> why would you fight over donbass oh. exactly <laughs> damn well i guess that's a nice conclusion it's, to our conversation <laughs> exactly i mean that's the way they did for fucking Zasalotaringia, like right pretty much yeah yeah for like a couple of wars we thought for this region and then it's just like remember this like Funny. Silly, yeah. Oh, well, I mean. Well, let's hope for the best. Hope for the best, and we'll see each other in the next episodes. Absolutely. Thank right. you for listening. Bye.